Emily here with a quick announcement. Hybrid Pub Scout is proud to be releasing the HPS Guide to Picking Your Publishing Path. And the way that you can get that is to go to hybridpubscout.com, click Join Our Troop, and then you'll get hooked up with a free download. So if you're a new author trying to decide what to do with your book, hopefully this will point you in the right direction. Enjoy today's interview. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout podcast with me, Emily Einolander. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today we have Olivia Kroom Hammerman on. Olivia Kroom Hammerman is an award-winning independent book designer living in Manhattan with her husband and cat, Amelia. You can find her work at oliviacroomdesign.com. Welcome, Olivia. Hello. It's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia is a friend of the pod. She's uh, she's frequently interacting with us on social media, and um, she reached out after uh, we had our interview with Greg because um, she has worked with University of Health Press sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Can you can you uh, talk? Uh, just name a couple of the books that you worked on with them. Let's see. The first one that I worked on with them was the most fun you'll have at a cage fight by Rory Douglas, which was great. I did the cover and the interior for that one. Uh, and then let's see, what, what are some other uh, really fun ones? So Boys by Suzanne Burns, um, cover and interior for that. Um, let's see, I, I do the interiors for most of their books. Okay, um, cool. And then sometimes the covers. Uh, Greg has a, a stable of us that he comes to for the covers. So we rotate. But <laughs> I love re referring to a collection of contractors as a stable. Like, yeah. <laughs> for some reason, it doesn't insult me. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I was like, that's cool. Uh, to be clear, Greg has never used that term. That's oh, my no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very common. It's very common. It makes me feel like a racehorse. <laughs> yeah, I feel special. Yeah, I feel like they're going to wear hats for me. <laughs> big, big, floppy hats. All right. Well, um, please tell us a little bit about your background in book publishing. Yes. So I first started working uh, on literary magazines when I was in high school. And that was really my first introduction to any sort of publishing process. Um, I was very interested in writing. I thought writing is what you did when you were interested in books. And when I got to college and I was a creative writing major, it gave me access to a lot of different internships uh, with various small presses that were connected to Eastern Washington University and uh, literary journals like Willow Springs. And I learned through that, that I was more interested in the publishing side as opposed to the writing side of things. So when it came time for me to decide what to do after college, I applied and ended up going to Portland State's master's in writing and publishing program. Aha. And, yeah. <laughs> That's where I went to. Yes. There's a lot of us out there. Um, We're pretty great. <laughs> and that, it, it was my senior year of 
uh, college where I was responsible for designing the undergrad literary journal that I figured out that design was really the main thing I was interested in. I, I knew I was a good project manager, uh, but I was really interested in design. So those are kind of the two paths I looked into while at PSU and really uh, settled more on the design side of things. Uh, once I graduated, I had an inkling that I would probably need to move to New York City at some point. Uh, in order to work full-time in books, but I wasn't ready to leave Portland yet. So I actually ended up getting a marketing design job with an architecture firm in Portland. And I worked there for a little over two years. And that was a really great experience because it was still print-based design. I was creating proposals and award submissions to help the architecture firm bring in work. And so it was very complex document layout. And we were creating books uh, and, and the entire production process was happening in-house. So from conception to design, Even printing? yeah, to printing, to assembly, all of that was happening in the office. And that was a really invaluable couple of years in terms of helping me understand design um, you know, I was a junior member of the team, so I had much more experienced designers and marketing people around me that were really mentors. Uh, and I continued to freelance on the side with small presses in Portland and uh, continued to try and be an active literary citizen uh, in that scene. And I figured out after a couple of years that I really wanted to take those skills and work full time in book publishing, uh, having a day job and then books as a hobby just didn't that wasn't going to work um, forever. So I sold, I think I think I calculated out as 93% of my possessions oh my <laughs> sold God. away donated uh, showed up to New York City with an Airbnb reservation and two suitcases and 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 like many people that move here i made it work uh got an apartment took took a while to break into book publishing but i did do it i my first job in new york city was with henry holt mm -hmm. which is an imprint of macmillan and i was in the managing editorial department uh, and if anyone is thinking about coming to New York and, and pursuing that, managing ed is a really great place to start. What uh, defines uh, managing ed, like keyword managing? Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so the managing editorial department uh, sits right at the intersection of production, uh, acquisitions, design, production editorial, and really kind of contracts, uh, the contracts department. And basically, they're the ones who determine the schedule for a book, the production of a book, and uh, and keep the train rolling. Um, so, like, I was the person who would show up at people's desks and just say, hey, we're just wondering where this copy is for the jacket, th that kind of thing. You're the, you're the project managers of, of the process. <laughs> Sounds um, almost like an enforcer a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. It, it's uh, it's a particular personality that excels in managing Ed, um, and it was great. It was I got a bird's eye view of the entire process. 
the only areas that I didn't really get to see a whole lot of in that position uh, was marketing sales and publicity. That was really very separate. But being able to see how, um, oh, I left a department out. You have you have design, which does interiors, and then art, which does the covers and jackets. Okay. Two separate departments. Um, so uh, getting to see how art interacted with acquisitions and and how just all these departments need to be coordinated and you have to keep so many people on the same schedule was really helpful in seeing how big corporate traditional publishing works. Um, and Henry Holt is a small imprint in comparison to others. So it was a good, it was a really good stepping stone for me to see kind of big publishing in a small imprint and then being able to jump into what I really wanted to be doing, which was cover design right. at a much, much bigger publisher, uh, Knopf, uh, which is a part of Penguin Random House. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I actually, the timing was completely crazy, uh, but I actually left Knopf right as all of this started. My last day in the office was in mid-March when they were trying to get everyone switched over to uh working from home and i was already there like getting ready to be a full-time independent book designer so it's very bizarre timing so this is an interesting period of time for you in a different way than it is for a lot of other people i i guess you're, so you're already <laughs> making a transition to uh yeah. going off on your own sort of thing yes yeah. yes uh, i think everybody's workflows are changing dramatically. Um, and I don't know if I was ahead of the curve or not, but yeah, my, my workflow was already like completely transforming. Right. Um, I have a question that I don't think I, uh, put on here, but like, what is, I know very, very little about in-house cover design. Like mm -hmm. for the people that I've worked with, we were, you know, uh, imprint of Simon and Schuster but far away and so you'd kind of just like someone would make the cover somewhere and that was that and sometimes it was one of our contractors and sometimes Simon and Schuster took care of it but like how does it work when they're they're right there and you can talk to them um it's uh it's a really uh it can be an extremely collaborative process that's that's the goal um that's always collaborative but um you you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it isn't um the way i saw it work uh it's really imprint specific so i was technically a part of the vintage anchor books department but the art department as a whole did all of the design for Knopf, Doubleday, Pantheon, Shokin, Vintage Anchor, Borzoi, like a lot of imprints. But we were all, so we were all interacting as as cover designers, but um, but technically we were separate. So for example, Vintage and Anchor, which is the paperbacks, that was more you so you as the designer would work with your art director, and you and the art director would figure out let's say three three options something like that you show it to the editor kind of see what the editor is thinking 
and then you take it to a decision committee, which is made up of the editor at large, the vintage publisher, uh, and ver various other heads of departments, and they give feedback. And sometimes it's really fast. Like I had covers that got approved in one or two meetings. Uh, and other times it's just a constant, it, it, can, it can go on for months. Um, and, and that can be influenced by a lot of things. Like you can all decide that you really like one cover and then it goes to sales conference and Barnes and Noble says they hate it. So it gets kicked back and you start the whole process over again. Um, and so that, that was kind of the process for vintage and anchor for, uh, Knopf. It was, uh, it was more, you had a lot of interaction with the editor. Like as a designer, you were getting a lot of like direct, uh, sometimes art direction, sometimes just constructive comments, but much more interaction with the editor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and you would be working with your art director. Uh, in all of that as well. And so the approval process varies dramatically between imprints. So where does the author come into that decision-making process? <laughs> I feel like a jerk <laughs> laughing at that, but it's just, uh, it's so absurd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure where the author came in exactly with Henry Holt. Like I do, I think that they did have quite a bit to say, like, if you're showing something to the editor, the theory is that once the art department and the editor are kind of settled on something, that you can show an option or two to the author. Um, and the and the author, as far as I always witness, both um, at Holt and at Knopf, they do get say. They get quite a bit of it. Oh, good. Um, and it, yeah, and and they they definitely get to be part part of the process in in both cases now it also depends on how big of an author you are like that has a huge that can have a huge influence on how much input you have but no no author was ever told to go away like oh, author good. was always always a part of the discussion as was the agent oh yeah 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 i can see how that would uh, be a good advocate in that situation and probably a, a voice of someone who also understands marketing. Yes. So in your opinion, like what makes a good cover? Okay. Um, yeah. So <laughs> a little bit of a loaded question. Oh, a big loaded question. <laughs> um, but to me, a successful, a successful book cover is doing a few things simultaneously. Um, one of the major functional parts of a book cover is that it needs to tell the, the potential reader uh, what kind of book they're looking at in a split second. They need to be able to look at it and know it's fantasy, it's upmarket fiction, it's self-help, it's horror. It's, so, so a successful cover is telling a reader that just right away so they know what they're looking at. Um, the next layer is making sure that the cover is communicating what the author or editor, the create, we'll call it the, the wordsmiths, what the wordsmiths think need to be, needs to be presented clearly. Like what, it, what is a key 
thing from the book that needs to be presented on the cover. Now that could be something very literal, like a scene from the book. It can be an object. It can it can be anything, but but uh, it the cover does need to be showing why that story is unique, why that book is unique within this category. And the next kind of the if you're thinking of it as a cake. <laughs> Uh, the typography is the filling and the frosting. It's what's holding everything together and communicating not only title and author and dictating what has more prominence to your eye, but also is this an award-winning book? Has this author done other books that you might have heard of? Uh, is there a really important blurb that should be on the front? Um, so you've got those considerations. You know, and then, uh, you know, is the spine intriguing? Is this a book? Eventually all books are going to be shelved face in. So it's like, what's the spine doing? Uh, and then, you know, for the back, you're talking about what blurbs do you want to emphasize? And, and you get into, into the wordsmithing with what needs to be on the back. But um, a successful cover is basically all of those elements, the typography, the category and the uniqueness of the story all need to be held together and it just needs to look damn good. Yeah. And, bottom line. Yeah. It just needs to look good. And, and, uh, and that, so to me, that's, that's the success, that's a successful cover that can do all those things. Well, what are the ways that that falls apart? The, whenever I'm, I see a weak cover, um, often, Part of that is that there were, it's clear that there were design, design decisions um, made without a strong reason. There's kind of, there's, there's a lack of purpose in some of the decision making. And maybe that's the placement of a photograph or it's the placement of the type. But, but it's often, even if you can't quite name it when you first look at it, there's something visually dissonant or or just something that that isn't working because there weren't good decisions made and, and it's often you can't quite put your finger on it right away but you just look at it and you're like there's something not correct about what i'm looking at and it's clearly not on purpose right so um it sounds like there's both a level of detail that you have to pay attention to but you can't lose sight of the bigger like holistic picture or you know, something's going to be out of place, even if on its own, it's going to look good. Yeah. Yes. I think you talked a little bit about who, who is steering the ship when it comes to that. It sounds like it's a pretty collaborative process. Um, how would you say that it differs between, um, you know, the larger publishing companies where you worked versus the small press where you worked wor versus um, self-publishing even? So, Big publishing, and when I talk about big publishing, I do mean like the big corporate houses. One way or another, you are on a factory floor with that. You are in a book factory and things are moving quickly. And there is a bit, there can be a bit of a template feeling. Like this is a thriller. Make it look like these other three thrillers that were on the bestseller list for us. So there can be a bit of uh, creative stifling that can happen as a, as a designer. That has never happened to me when I'm working with small presses or self-publishing authors. I mean, there's really 
quite a bit of creative uh, freedom with, with them, particularly I really like working on poetry and, and literary fiction. And with those genres in particular, you can get weird if you want to. And you don't have to follow that template. Not at all. And it can be really, it, that can be really fun. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, with when I'm working with authors and, and small publishers, it, it can be a lot of fun to take something like a self-help book or a thriller or something that has kind of a defined market presence and, and get weird with it. Like make sure it still fits, but be able to bring your own interpretation of that. And I always find that, that small presses and, and self-publishing authors are often just like over the moon with that process. They just love being a part of, of that kind of creative process. Not to say there aren't sometimes roadblocks and, and sometimes the visions don't quite line up, but I rarely had bad interactions with, with self-publishing authors and, and small presses. That's great. Yeah. Everybody's just excited to make some art. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so we talked a little bit about um, traditional authors and what what they do to affect their book covers. Um, and so can can you tell us about how a self-published author might go looking for a good designer who, you know, is uh, going to be trustworthy, do a good job, but also look for them in a way that doesn't make them seem suspicious? <laughs> suspicious. I don't know. I feel like as someone who does copywriting contracting, if there's a way someone approaches you as if you're going to like cheat them, it's like doesn't start off the relationship on a good foot. So I feel like there's a balance to strike. Uh, so if you're starting from scratch looking for a designer, uh, one of the one of the first things I would do is ask your writing community. Uh, and see if they have any suggestions because it's often it's often word of mouth. It's often like I know somebody who worked with this person, and those are often the the best ways to establish relationships because everyone's got some skin in the game. Yes, and uh, so and that's how I get a lot of clients. It's word of mouth and uh, and doing like podcasts and writing articles and this sort of thing. Uh, so. Let's say you have a few names of some designers and you're an author looking. The, the next step is looking at their portfolios and, and making sure that they're doing, doing covers that fit with your visual aesthetic. And, and the sweet spot is finding a designer who is particularly talented in the category that your book falls into and you like their stuff. That's, that's really what you're looking for. When, when you get to the point where you want to contact this person, and, and we'll just say it's a cold call, maybe you don't have any sort of intro from anybody else, I think the main thing is just being polite, uh, getting emails saying, hello, I, I wrote a book, uh, I found your portfolio this way, uh, I, would really like, I would really like to talk, and, and it can be that short. It can, and and the, the next thing that a designer will probably respond with is like, please tell me more about this. 
and and it starts it starts a dialogue um in order to just keep things above board i always recommend that everyone have a contract and yeah. if not if not like a full official contract both sides need to get everything in writing and get a written agreement to it so sometimes that just means email uh, but that's unusual for me i really only do that with people i know or um yeah really it's only people i know or people that have been recommended to me just for everybody's sake contracts are good uh it it helps set up the design process it it gives everybody a clear set of expectations and and again it puts a little bit of skin in the game how did you create your contract i let's see how did i create my contract i think it was right right out of grad school uh there was someone who circulated another designer who had been doing this for a little while who circulated their version of a contract and i took that and elaborated on it so another and, word of mouth situation yeah another word of mouth because i mean co contracts even if you're a really talented writer contracts and legal language are their own thing so and there's so many templates out there. there there's a lot of resources out there for both i would think for both writers and designers uh to, to use uh and probably it makes more sense for the designer to be providing the contract uh, but when i'm working with small presses or publishing services firms they will often have their own contracts oh that's another uh route that authors can go to uh if you know somebody or you've been working with a publishing services firm they can often recommend or will have designers already contracting with with the firm and and just to clarify, uh, a publishing services firm is a business that provides services that anybody from a self-publishing author all the way up to a big five publisher can utilize. So it's editing, it's design, it's ebook conversion, all, all, readers' responses, it can be all kinds of stuff. What are some of the most unexpected things you've come across in your publishing career that you uh, didn't know about uh, going into it from school maybe? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think initially it was that interior layout and uh, cover design are totally separate departments. Like I never talked to anybody in interiors once I was in the cover art department, which always struck me as very strange. Uh, but it comes together. I mean, either way, it all comes together. Um, the other thing that I found really shocking was that at least at very old school imprints like Knopf, uh, the cover designer, the jacket designer, I should say, almost never does the whole cover themselves. Um, they'll get the, the front cover and spine approved. Like once all of that's approved, they'll hand it over to a junior designer and, and the junior designer will be the one who does the flaps and the back and all of that. And that just, that still boggles my mind. <laughs> um, and it was a huge part of my job. I worked with a lot of the senior designers, including uh, Chip Kidd and Carol Carson, like laying out, and John Gall, like laying out their jackets once awesome. they had 
approval. And it was amazing to get to work with them in that way, but it was so weird to me. Like, because a lot of the time, especially if you're doing effects and something kind of fancy that's gonna affect the entire wraparound, they're, they're needing to be involved in it every step of the way anyway. And it's like, well, I'm really happy to do this for you, but like, why, why am I? Why aren't you just doing it? Yeah. <laughs> just do the whole thing. That's one more piece. <laughs> I think it's because they had like a lot, like a lot of jackets that they had to be designing. So it made sense to a certain degree, but that was so the opposite of what I came from with, with small presses where mm -hmm. I'm production and the designer, like all in one. Handing so. over a completely finished product that they can just go print. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I knew very little about cover design. Um, we had uh, Jessica uh, Reed on here and she was a marketing designer and I kind of asked her about it and she's just like, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how that works. That wasn't what I did. So yeah, I, uh, I listened to that episode and I just laughed because it's, <laughs> I completely understand what she was saying. Uh, at least, uh, at least at Knopf, there was very much uh, a nurtured opaqueness to what we were doing. Like, uh, we liked having a bit of distance from the other departments, which I did not work there long enough. I mean, I was there for years, but the people who worked there for a long time have been there 25, 30 years. Wow. Uh, so I was not there long enough to really see why the senior level people liked having that distance, but I'm going to trust there was a really good reason for it. <laughs> that is so strange to me. <laughs> it was. It felt really weird to me too, because like ad promo, uh, we do interact with with the ad promo designers to a certain degree because they're they're using our our files and and things, but always so very short interactions. It was it was funny. I mean, it's, like, it's here just you go. Yeah, just like hi. <laughs> These are the files. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like, much. And then, like you know, with interiors, we never talk to them at all. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're all designers. Like, why aren't we talking to one another? <laughs> were they afraid that uh, creative conflicts might emerge? <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to go get a beer with some coworkers I don't like interact with all the time, but that just wasn't a thing. <laughs> like, wow, it sounds very clicky. It would, that's what I found a, a bit. I mean, when push came to shove, everybody like held together, but like, yeah, the departments were very separate. It was very odd. And I prefer the small press and the self-publishing processes because it's very collaborative. It's everyone's involved. And as long as everyone's letting everyone do what they're good at, it's a really, uh, it's a really great process. It's really stimulating, like creatively stimulating as long as there's mutual respect for everybody's mm -hmm. abilities and, and opinions and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who really wants to be a book designer, whether that be cover or interior or whatever? Oh, um, so <laughs> not an easy path, I'm guessing. Not an easy, not an easy path. Um, if you want to work in New York, um, one, uh, like looping back to an earlier question, one of the other very surprising things I found about New York, 
uh, is that it can be sort of shockingly provincial when, when it comes to where you went to school and where, where you're, it's your pedigree. There's like a pedigree kind of thing going on sometimes. And just, just to give an idea of my background, it's like, I'm, I'm a Southwest and West coast girl, like grew up in Albuquerque, went to school in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm very much used to kind of the mobility and particular type of open-mindedness that you find in the West, like in that. Almost like the glorifying of people who didn't even finish college. I, I would see that, I see that kind of like Bay Area attitude where it's like, maybe you have a more creative outlook if you didn't go to college. So yes, it's just a, a, a flexibility with like where you're coming from, whether that means geographically, um, mentally, creatively, there's just, there's room for everybody in, it seems that that's my, my perception of it in a very general kind of way. Um, as opposed to what I have found on the East coast, which is everybody went to college when they were 18, they went to Brown, Yale, Harvard, whatever, and they're done at 22 and then their assistants. And what is that like? <laughs> it's, it was really hard for me at first, like to kind of get my head wrapped around that because I haven't been in college, like not counting grad school, but I haven't been an undergrad in 10 years. And to end up having discussions with hiring managers about where I went to school and like why I don't have a graphic design degree from whatever art school was very strange. Um, so I moved to New York uh, when I was 27. And like I said, had a master's degree, already had like a, a decent amount of work experience considering I was a 20-something. And, and they really didn't know what to do with that. Like a lot of hiring managers just didn't, didn't really know what to do with someone who wasn't like a fresh faced, like Ivy League college grad. And that at first I thought, well, maybe that's just me because I'm applying to these assistant positions and I, I probably am in a very different position than a lot of these other people who are applying. But, but in the five years that I've been in New York, that has held up. It's, it's there's a tribalism to it. Like, where did you go to school? Like, and, and specifically with book design, they're looking for you to have a graph, like a BFA or a, an undergrad degree of some kind in graphic design, or it is really hard to break into cover design. It's really hard. What um, finally did it for you? Uh, my position wasn't technically a cover designer. Like, that's I true. Was, yeah, I was in the cover art department. I was given the opportunity to do original uh, jacket design and, and cover design, but my position was decidedly not design oriented. It was production oriented, which means putting those mechs together, putting mechanicals together of the approved front covers and spines and building it all out um, and solving like... Uh, production problems on the design side. So converting cork files to InDesign, that sort of stuff. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) No, it was, it was a learning, it was a really good learning experience. Like I learned just as much about how a book is printed and, and the complexity of like paper choice and ink choice finishes. I learned a huge amount in that position but I was decidedly not a designer. That was not in my title. It was not in my job description. It was totally at the discretion of the art directors whether or not I could design. That was not my full-time like responsibility in my day job. Um, it doesn't, and it really didn't seem to matter that I had an extensive portfolio uh, from working with small presses and uh and self-publishing authors that just for some reason confused them more than convinced them of anything uh so that that is one serious struggle of new york city that i found so for someone trying to break into it and and you don't have a graphic design degree uh i would i i don't know how realistic it is to try and break into cover art uh, it might, what, one piece of advice I gave a student is that either look at interior design, which is a little more flexible. They, they seem, I, I don't, I didn't, I never worked in that department, so I can't say for sure, but they seem a little more flexible with that. And the, and the other thing is, is looking at jobs like I had, uh, that are embedded within cover art and you are a part of the cover art department but you're doing something else. Your main job function is maybe image research or studio management or, or something like that. And then you might be able to hone your skills and, and get to know your manager well enough that there's a possibility down the road that you can start doing original designs. But it's tough. It's really, it's, it's hard to overstate how difficult it is in New York. And, and particularly in a creative industry like book publishing that so many people want to be a part of. So now you are full-time cover design for small press and self-published authors. Are you doing just cover design? Are you doing like full book design? What, what you doing? <laughs> uh, full book design uh, and marketing material design. So I really like doing the whole package. I love doing both covers and interiors, but I'm open to either. Uh, and, and then like sales kit design. So one sheets, bookmarks, any other kind of collateral, I do that too. And, and my, my clients run the, run the gamut. It's, it's big five down to self-publishing authors. Great. Well, um, so we'll make sure to put your website up there so if people uh, need some some book design <laughs> have our have our stable of recommendations at hybrid yeah. scout <laughs> <laughs> um do you have anything else that you want to plug or do you have anything else you want to talk about or both no let's see i i, I mean i want to give a shout out to independent bookstores they are the lifeblood of the industry and they're struggling right now. So uh, if you're out there and you have the ability to buy your books from your local independent, like please do that. 
If you need to buy online, which a lot of people do, still check in with your local indie. They've probably got some sort of web presence where you can buy books or look into um, bookshop.org. Yes, we are, uh, we are uh, curating a, uh, all of the people that we've interviewed, all of their books on. So if there, if you, I know, actually you have your own bookshop.org store, right? Uh, I do. I have, mm-hmm. uh, I keep a list of all the books I've worked on, on there mm-hmm. in case people want to hop into that. <laughs> yeah. So Olivia Croom design.com. Yes. All right. And are you on social media for, uh, Yes, I'm on I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, it's just at Olivia Croom. Uh, and then on Instagram, I am reddish.ampersand. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that one of your original email addresses from back in the day? Uh, it, it wasn't. I was late to uh, the Instagram phenomena, and I just uh, picked something out because I had just gotten an ampersand tattoo. So it's like, right. well, let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool symbol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Olivia, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. And you can find us on Twitter at hybrid pub scout on Instagram at hybrid pub scout pod. Um, you can find our bookshop.org store on our website. Um, hybridpubscout.com. Please sign up for our newsletter. And if you are a part of our community and have any successes in authoring, editing, designing, anything to do with books, um, email me, emily at hybridpubscout.com, and we'll try to include you in our newsletters and updates. Um, Thanks for listening and thanks for giving a rip about books.